Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, you need energy efficiency when you are about to knock out a solo podcast and you got 15 pages of notes in front of you. But you also need energy efficiency if you want the most out of your windows and doors. And if you look at Pella's website, they got one, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella that won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Awards. Big time stuff right there. For more information on how Pella can make your home more comfortable and energy efficient, check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my pals at Runza. Runza has an app. I've been just hammering home this fact to you for the better part of a month now. You need to go download that app because you can order food on the app. You can have it ready to pick up in the restaurants. You can earn points for rewards. In fact, when you download the app, you can get five bucks off your first order in the app. It's one of the best apps of all time. So go download the Runza app, get Runza, get rewards, then get more Runza all on the app. Runza makes it all better. Okay. Welcome back into the podcast. It is, uh, it's Thursday, August 19th. We are officially, gosh, nine days away from kickoff for Nebraska, uh, taking on Illinois, August 28th. And we got a lot to discuss with, with the Huskers. Uh, it's just me and you for this pod. I got, uh, I got, I got a bunch of different things I want to tackle. I got a, a thought on why I think the hot seat topic around frost has kind of a disconnect and, I'll just give you flat out how I view the hot seat topic for for Scott Frost. Plus, I got my list of 15 things I'm excited to watch this season for Nebraska football, but we got to start with the big news that dropped on Wednesday morning regarding Nebraska football and some NCAA uh, allegations of violations. So, uh, Brett McMurphy, the Action Network, dropped a report on Wednesday morning, and here is what it entailed. Um, just kind of give you the Cliff Notes version. Nebraska was under is is currently under investigation for improper use of analysts and consultants at practice. Now, this is most likely Jonathan Rutledge, who was the special teams analyst last year and then was fired after the season. And apparently, there's tons of video footage of of this of, of these analysts on the field coaching when it's against the rules. And then the other. Th- aspect of the story was that Nebraska held unauthorized workouts off campus during the pandemic at the direction of the strength and conditioning staff, where this was when all the team activities were shut down during the pandemic. So this was a violation of rules. Uh, So there's also that. Then there was one other little nugget right at the end of the story that is certainly interesting that it, according to Brett McMurphy's sources, Scott Frost and former chief of staff Jared Lamprick were the ones behind trying to drop the Oklahoma game. This was pseudo-confirmed by the Omaha World-Herald that Bill Moose, former athletic director, was blindsided by all of a sudden the news that the there was an effort to drop the Oklahoma game and that this was, in fact, a Frost-Lamprick idea, which, again, isn't a violation of NCAA rules, but it's a bad, bad, 
bad look. Um, now, all that led to Trev Alberts and Scott Frost holding a quick press conference on Wednesday morning, uh, which confirmed that there was an NCAA investigation ongoing that predated Trev Alberts' arrival. Uh, Scott Frost was there standing behind Trev with seemingly all that UCF swag gone. Um, so uh, that, that's kind of the latest on the story. So let's unpack all this stuff. So, you know, I've, I've had about 24 hours to digest this thing. And I was thinking, you know, context and timing and track record all matter in life. They, they just do. Because, you know, the violations themselves, pretty meh, right? They are. On the spectrum of rules violations, those, you know, improper use of analysts and consultants at practice and an unauthorized workout during uh, during the pandemic. I mean, those, those these are, on the spectrum of violations, these are what amount to, like, jaywalking. I mean, they're, they're secondary violations. Secondary violations don't likely come with any sort of significant penalty from the NCAA. Um, I get it. Rules are rules, and I'm with you. We can't live in a world where we just pick and choose what rules we get to follow and which ones we don't want to follow. I, I totally get it. But we also can't be disingenuous here and not be able to spot the difference between a mouse and an elephant, right? we got to be able to walk into a room and say, that's a mouse, that's an elephant. I mean, there's a difference, right? Like these are, these, these allegations, these are, this is a mouse, okay? I mean, analysts coaching in practice and talking to players, and stuff, it happens everywhere. Again, not necessarily trying to make excuses, but let's not BS each other on this either, right? I mean, Alabama has had former head coaches as analysts. You, th- you think they're just doing nothing? You think they're just sitting in their office just doing nothing? No. So that violation, pretty meh. Same, same thing with holding unauthorized workouts off campus during the pandemic. Pretty minor. I mean, listen, it was a really, it was a pretty confusing and emotional time last spring when the pandemic started. I, I, I've, again, pretty meh. The, I will say that I'm not so sure that the entire story, the, the nugget about the, the catalyst to the dropping of the Oklahoma game might have been the juiciest for some people. Because for me, during for me during this the whole Oklahoma game, you know, drama debacle, right? I think the thing everyone was trying to wrap their mind around was you know, whose idea was it? Whose idea was it to drop the Oklahoma game? Who who was the one pushing? Because right, it had to. It had, it all has to start somewhere. Like someone has to conjure up that idea, and then act on it. And reading from the story of Brett McMurphy's story here, it, it, it says Frost and Jared Lamprick shopped around trying to find a replacement for the Oklahoma game without the permission of Bill Moose. A source said. Frost was in favor of removing the Oklahoma game. That's in the story on the Action Network. So again, according to the report, it was it was a it was a Scott Frost and Jared Lamprecht idea. Now Scott Frost at the press conference yesterday, uh, again taping this Thursday, August nineteenth. Scott Scott Frost said he's never made one one call about scheduling. And I mean, I'm not necessarily calling Frost a liar because that's certainly a bold thing to do here, but. But that's a very calculated way of phrasing it. Not one call about scheduling. Okay, well, just because you weren't the one making calls doesn't mean you weren't behind it or you didn't support calls being made on your behalf. 
right? Like if just think about it, if Frost had literally zero to do with dropping the Oklahoma game, it wasn't his idea at all. He had no idea about it. He had nothing to do with it. Wouldn't you just come out and say that? Imagine if like imagine if you were accused of this. Which this story set off tons of scathing columns ripping Frost and ripping Nebraska. It it set off anger permeating throughout the fan base. Like if you truly had nothing to do with it, it's pretty easy to say but like listen guys, man, I I want to say right now once and for all, I had zero zero to do with Whatever was happening with the Oklahoma game in the schedule, nothing, nada. I was blindsided by it. I was upset by the idea of it. I, I was shocked when I found out about it, just like you guys. I want to make that perfectly clear. I had nothing to do with that. I had no idea that was a thing. Right? What's more believable, that or I, I, I've never made one phone call about scheduling? Eh, I mean, yeah. But I digress. Back to what I said at the top. Context, timing, and track record all matter in life. They just do. And within the context, timing, and track record, all these minor violations and allegations, while while not a big deal if you isolate them individually, they're just a bad look for Scott Frost considering what the first three seasons at Nebraska have looked like. Right, being 12 and 20, three straight losing seasons. And it kind of just neatly fits into the narrative for detractors that Scott Frost doesn't know what he's doing. His program isn't buttoned up. But most of all, this is just another tally in the T-chart for bad moments and embarrassing moments for Nebraska. And this, that, like, this pains me to say because I like Scott Frost and I want it to work here with Frost being the head coach at Nebraska so bad. I want it to work so bad. But just, just imagine a real simple T-chart in front of you. Just imagine a blank piece of paper T-chart in front of you. A T-chart for the Frost era at Nebraska. And on one side, you have good moments and proud moments for Nebraska. And the other side is bad moments and embarrassing moments for Nebraska. So far, through three seasons and on the eve of kicking off the fourth season, there have been far more bad and embarrassing moments than good and proud moments. That's the context of the situation. That's the timing of all of this. It's been said, and I I agree with it, but if if Frost were winning, if Scott Frost were 24 and 8 in 3 years instead of 12 and 20, Brett McMurphy's report and and the news of it might get met with a collective shoulder shrug from everyone. Like, yeah, who gives a shit? Well, who cares? But that's not the reality of the situation. That's not the context of the moment. This is about a Nebraska football program that is just constantly making headlines for everything but winning football games. This is about a Nebraska football program that through three years has had way more bad moments than good moments. And that is kind of the crux of the issue. 
Listen, I don't really care about Nebraska having analysts coaching when they can't. I don't care about that. And I really don't care that Nebraska had weightlifting sessions during the pandemic. Like, I don't really care about that. Those are such minor things that I think we'll forget about in a week or two. Those things are not specifically the issue at hand. The issue at hand goes back to that T-chart. The good and the proud versus the bad and the embarrassing. Nebraska needs to start adding some tallies in that T-chart to the good and proud moments. So what does all that mean? Well, to me, all this story does is just adds more pressure to this upcoming football season, which was already a pressure-packed situation. This was already a crucial season for the Frost tenure. And it just got kind of turned up a little bit more. In particular, that season opener, August 28th at Illinois. I've jokingly dubbed it the Super Bowl for Nebraska. It's a huge game. And, and in the wake of this news, it feels like it got up, it, it, it even got bigger. Like, Nebraska has to go win that game and play well. And you know, I was thinking more about I was I was thinking more about that game after this news. And let's just kind of like let's just play out the the first month of the season here with each other. Like let's so think about this. Nebraska under Scott Frost in three seasons, they've just never been able to gain any momentum at all. They they haven't been able to stack wins. They haven't been able to stack positive things and gain confidence and gain momentum. It's it's always been one step forward, two steps back over and over and over again for the first 3 seasons. In fact, Nebraska under Scott Frost has yet to win 3 games in a row. Really think about that. Haven't won 3 in a row yet. So, with that in mind, when you look at Nebraska's schedule, if Nebraska can beat Illinois, it sets up nicely to have your very first three-game winning streak heading into Oklahoma. You go beat Illinois, then I think it's i mean it's relatively safe to assume that you can beat Fordham for sure, and then a decent Buffalo team who had a head coaching change, so they're kind of starting over. But it's, it's you beat Illinois, then you assume Nebraska can beat Fordham and, and Buffalo the next two weeks, and now you've won three in a row. You're undefeated heading to Norman, Oklahoma. And the whole dynamic around that game and around Scott Frost and around that team is it's a little different in a good way. But if Nebraska loses to Illinois, first of all, considering everything we've talked about with the track record of the first three years and how much skepticism there is around Frost and the program, the negativity is going to ramp up. This season, year four under Frost, this season is largely about earning the fans' trust and patience back. That's what this season is largely about. I don't think, yeah, sure, do you want to go win the West? Sure. But I don't think anyone in their right mind is really thinking like that. This season is about about showing progress and earning fans trust and patience and belief again because some of that is has been has dissipated a little 
and losing game one at Illinois would just continue to chip away at that. That's something that's already gotten chipped away. But then you play out the rest of the month, and you guys know how it'll be. You go lose to Illinois, the vibe and the atmosphere at the games and around the team and around the program for that Fordham game and the Buffalo game are going to be pretty bleh. Even if Nebraska goes and, and wins those two games, they go beat, they lose to Illinois, but they go beat Fordham and beat Buffalo, there will be a, likely a collective shoulder shrug from the fans. Like, okay, I mean, you lost to Illinois. You got, you got a, you know, a juggernaut waiting for you in Oklahoma. You, even if Nebraska goes and win those two games, there'll be a collective shoulder shrug from the fans which then sets up the Oklahoma game, and the vibe around that game now is different if you lose that Illinois game. If you win the Illinois game and are 3-0 and heading to Oklahoma, I hate to call it playing with house money, but there's a little bit of that feeling, I think. You never want to get blown out, but a blowout to potentially the number one team in the country is going to land a little different if Nebraska's 3-0 and heading into it. But if Nebraska loses to Illinois and they are 2-1 and one heading into that game against Oklahoma, a blowout lands different for the fans. 3-1 and one with a loss on the road to potentially the number one team in the country is a lot different than 2-2 two and two where you, you, you played two power five teams and you lost both of them. Right? Like, it's different. Nebraska needs to build up confidence and momentum for the team, and they need to earn the fans' trust and patience back as well. And a lot of that is shaped by the first game at Illinois. You know how it's going to be, man. Like, if Nebraska goes out and loses that first game at Illinois and they look sloppy again, it's the same greatest hits of all the issues we've seen for the first three years, it's going to get really negative around here. It just is. But if Nebraska can go on the road and look good and beat Illinois and then stack two more wins over Fordham and Buffalo, there will be a, complete, a completely different feeling around here. Because what's interesting is, like, I told this to Mitch Sherman the other week on, on my podcast, or The Athletic. This is just kind of anecdotal evidence. But I, I really can't remember the last positive Nebraska football slash Scott Frost conversation I've had with someone. Like, just you know, how it is whether you're 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 hanging out with people, you're 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 talking to them, and all of a sudden the topic of Nebraska football comes up. That that talk almost always goes negative. That has to change and change fast. And the Illinois game sets the stage for changing that. You win that game, you put yourself in a good spot to win three games in a row, gaining a little momentum and being 3-0 heading to Oklahoma. And you also put yourself in a good spot then to get to a bowl game, as crazy as it sounds. Because if, if Nebraska, think about it, if Nebraska beats Illinois and then Fordham and Buffalo and is 3-0, all they got to do is go 3-6 and six the rest of the way to get to a bowl game. And with the schedule big-time backloaded with games against Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa in November, you, you, better, you better do your work early and stack wins early. And that all starts on August 28th beating Illinois. 
Because if you lose that Illinois game, it just potentially sends you down a really tough path to gain confidence, to gain momentum, get some positivity around the program, and even get to six, seven, eight wins. Put yourself really behind the eight ball on a variety of levels. So that Illinois game is really big. It's a tone-setting game. It's, it's a tone-setter for the season. It's a tone-setter for the vibe around the program. It's a tone-setter for the team. But I was, uh, within all that, like, you know, my mind's been going a, a million different places with, you know, the kickoff starting and you got the reports with Brett McMurphy and then you got some other things with, with the season looming. I, I was also thinking about this. So, you know, sometimes there, there's a disconnect between national and local media on Nebraska football. Sometimes what the perception or feeling or thoughts are locally are different than they are nationally. How the national media views Nebraska versus how the local media views Nebraska, that can, that can vary. For instance, I always felt like the national media was always way higher on Taylor Martinez than I think a lot of the local media were. I think in general, the national media was always a little higher on Bo Pelini's stability at Nebraska than the local media was. Even, I know for me, like, I always thought that the national media was way higher on that Tim Miles Nebraska basketball team that got hot and went to the NCAA tournament. Like, that next year, the national media was way higher on that team than I was. So sometimes there's, there's a little bit of a disconnect. And I'm not saying I'm right or the local media is always right and the national media is always wrong. I'm simply saying there can sometimes be a disconnect. For instance, like I thought both the local and national media got the 2019 Huskers way wrong. Both both had them pegged as West Division favorites and Martinez as a Heisman hopeful, you know, and they won five games. Obviously, that was way off. But I bring that up to discuss the whole hot seat topic around Scott Frost right now. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. I think I think there's a little bit of a a variance in how the local media views that topic versus how the national media views that topic. You consume national media content, podcasts, columns, whatever. I think the national media has the 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 seat way hotter for Scott Frost than the local media does. Cuz you know, I you listen to you know, people like Pat Forty, Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, Ari Wasserman all talk about this. And 
all of them basically say that, yeah, Scott Frost is on the hot seat and Nebraska has to win at least seven games or maybe even more to keep his job. That's how they see it. And I don't, I don't quite see it like that. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Because from the outside looking in, big picture perspective, national perspective, I totally get how you can come to the conclusion that Scott Frost is on the hot seat, right? Like if you just take it for what it is, Scott Frost is 12 and 20, three straight losing seasons, not a lot of progress or big wins. Bill Moose, the AD that hired Frost, is gone, and Nebraska's hired a new athletic director. Like I I can see how you could look at all of that and come to the conclusion Scott Frost is on the hot seat. I can wrap my mind around that logic. I'm saying I agree with it, but I can wrap my mind around that logic. But my view of of the hot seat topic for Scott Frost is this. To me, barring a catastrophic season, I mean going like three and nine, four and eight, two and ten type of season, I don't think Scott Frost is on the hot seat. I think Trev Alberts once a year to observe things. I highly doubt Trev is motivated to make a change, right? Like, I think when Bill Moose came in, we all knew when he came in what he was. He came in to fire Riley and hire Frost. When Tom Osborne came in, he came in to fire Bill Callahan. Like, there are sometimes athletic directors show up and they're motivated to part ways with someone. I really don't think Trev Alberts is motivated to, to do that. I think he wants to take a year to observe everything. So I think it's more of a two-year thing than a hot seat right now thing. But again, in my opinion, barring a a catastrophic season, three and nine, two and ten, four and eight, I don't think Frost is on the hot seat. So, so having said that, and trying to unpack that a little bit more. Here's why I don't think Scott Frost is on the hot seat. And here's why I don't think, like, here's why I'm really confident that this season won't be catastrophic. It's pretty simple. It's pretty hard for a season to just completely fall apart and completely be a disaster when the defense is pretty dang good. And I think the defense is going to be pretty good. Think about this for a second. Behind every collapse season, catastrophic season, which results in the head coach getting fired, you usually have a defense that is terrible, that has completely fallen apart, thrown in the towel, terrible. You look at 2007, Bill Callahan, last year. That defense, by the end of the year, was a disaster. Two of the final three games that season, the defense gave up 76 and 65 points. 76 and 65 points. I mean, these aren't basketball games. This is a football game. 2017, Mike Riley's last year. That defense became atrocious. Four of the last six games that season, the defense gave up 56, 54, 56, 56. 
I mean, damn. 56, 54, 56, 56. Ugh. Uh, those defenses were awful. And you may go, Nick, what about Bo Pelini? Well, listen, we all know there were a lot of extenuating circumstances around the Bo Pelini firing. And, and listen, Bo Pelini's defense has also eroded greatly, but you get my point. Things, things unraveled when you look at the 2007 season defensively and the 2017 season defensively. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. A disastrous, catastrophic season is way more likely when your defense is bad. And I think Nebraska's defense is going to be pretty good. A disastrous, catastrophic season is way more likely when your defense is bad than when your offense is bad. And I am confident that this defense is going to be pretty dang good. I really am. You, you, can, you can hold me to it. I think this defense is going to be good enough for the chances of a total catastrophic collapse of a season to me is fairly low in my book. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think this is like the 2009 black shirts or something like that. But I think like I think this defense, when I look at this defense, I think this defense has a chance to be like the third or fourth or fifth best defense in the past 14, 15 years at Nebraska. I don't think this defense is as good as the 2009 or 2010 or maybe even the 2006 teams. I think this defense is somewhere in the 2011, 2012 defenses. I'm just I'm buying the Nebraska defense to be good enough to evade and avoid a collapse. And to me, to circle back to what I said about this hot seat topic, I think barring a total catastrophic collapse this season, I don't think Scott Frost is on the hot seat. And I think this defense is good enough to stave off a collapse. And, and get to six, seven, maybe even eight wins. So that's how I view the the whole hot seat topic or hot seat situation for us. I don't think the seat is as hot as a lot of the national media does. I think this is more of a two-year thing than a one-year thing. And then I think with within unpacking the team in the season and how projecting how things would unfold – potentially heating up or cooling down that seat, I think the defense is going to be good enough to keep things together for for Frost to keep that seat lukewarm, maybe even cool. That's how I see it. Okay, we'll end on kind of a, a pseudo-positive note. Um, I, I, I wrote down, to wrap up this pod, here, here are my top, 15 things. I mean, I could have wrote down like 42 things. But I wrote down the top 15 things I'm excited to watch this season for Nebraska. And there again, I could have I could have gotten to like I wrote down like 25 and I had to cut it down to 15. But he, here we go. Here are my top 15 things I'm excited to watch this season for Nebraska. We're about 9 days away from kickoff. Number 1, Adrian Martinez. Who who's the real who who is the real Martinez? 
I don't think Nebraska's done Martinez any favors with the weapons around him and all that. But that feels like it could be different this year with the a, maybe a better running back stable, on paper, better wide receiver core. I've made excuses for Martinez quite a bit because I think he's pretty good. I think he's pretty talented. But there's no doubt that he's had his shortcomings. And he's a four-year starter. Four-year starter. If you're, if you're good, it's time to ball out. It is time to ball out. It's time to cut out the turnovers. It's time to make plays. It's just time. He's reportedly trimmed down. He, he's in a good place mentally and physically. I can't wait to watch. Number two, special teams. Been atrocious for three years, right? Scott Frost knows that. And it's time to address it and improve on it. I've said it all offseason. Once you know the issues, they should at least be addressed and improved on. Not saying they need to be completely fixed and Nebraska now has to have the best special teams in the country. But they can't be awful again, which they've been. Like, find someone that can kick a touchback. Kick it into the end zone. Don't give up kickoff return touchdowns. Find a kickoff and punt returner that is actually dangerous. Punt the ball at a high level, flip the field, pin teams inside the 15, inside the 10-yard line, win that field position battle. All that. Got to see improvement. It's time. Number three, details and sloppiness. I could repeat a lot of what I just said, but it's it's been a huge issue for three years. And you can kind of tie or draw a direct line from penalties and sloppiness and lack of attention to detail to losing games. Uh, all that stuff's got to get cleaned up because I'd kind of throw like game management in there too. No more delay of games coming out of a kickoff. No more delay of games coming out of halftime. No, clock management stuff, penalties, all, all that has to get better. Nebraska is not talented enough to overcome all those things. A lot of that stuff has to improve. Number four, Nebraska's record in close games. Games decided by one score or less. Nebraska's been bad in that department. Been bad in close games under Frost. Nebraska isn't good enough to blow people out right now. They're not going to have a lot of comfortable 24, 27, 35-point wins. There's not. I mean, you just go down the list, a lot of these games are going to be close. Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue, Michigan State on the road. Like, a lot of these games, at Illinois, a lot of these games are probably going to be one-score games. So the reality is, Nebraska, you know, how they fare in those games will tell the tale of the season. It's kind of told the tale of the Frost era so far. Nebraska, I looked it up this the, this morning, Nebraska is 5-12 and 12 in games decided by one score or less. 2018, Nebraska was 1-5. In games decided by one score or less. 2019, they were two and four. 2020, they were two and three. I mean, that's kind of like that, that's it, right? Like that's kind of if those records are evened or or, or flipped, life is a lot different for Scott Frost and Nebraska football right now. I mean, just think about that. Instead of being five and twelve, they're twelve and five. They're ten and seven. Right? Like everything's different. Can Nebraska win close games? Something that's going to be absolutely vital. Number five, pass rush. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 
I'm buying the 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 stock on the defense. I think they'll be pretty good. But I'm also not naive to the fact that the one big hole in an otherwise pretty solid defense is the pass rush. They don't have an elite individual pass rusher like a Sue or a Randy Gregory or a Trev Alberts or a you know Grant Wistrom or Jason Peter or Jared Crick. They don't have one of those guys. And the ability to force turnovers and be an elite defense, you know, a top 10 defense, oftentimes hinges on pass rusher, like pressuring the QB. Can Nebraska find a way to heat up the opposing team's quarterback, make them uncomfortable? I talked about this uh, with Jason Peter on the last pod. If you haven't listened to it, it was an amazing podcast. Go check it out. But there's no question that, that Nebraska doesn't have a stud. They don't have an individual stud. But they, but they, to me, they can maybe improve in this area because of experience. They got older veteran experienced guys who are stronger physically and pretty sharp mentally because they've been in the system now. This is going to be their fourth year, third year for some of these guys. They've played a lot of football. You just, you gain a wealth of knowledge and experience doing that. So you, you, you know how technique wise, how to beat your guy one-on-one. You also understand schematically X's and O's wise how to blitz, how to cover up for it, how to sell a blitz, how to set up a blitz, how to cover up on a blitz rotation wide. Like you got a back seven who's played a lot of football. They're smart enough to handle blitz situations, get home, cover up where they're potentially vulnerable because ultimately you're, you're when you're blitzing, you're kind of leaving yourself vulnerable to certain things, right? When you blitz, you got to have the back end locked in and on the same page and how they're covering. I think the secondary will be able to do that. I think when you look at at Williams and Cam Taylor, Britt, and those guys, like and and Luke Reimer and Henrich, and that you got dudes that are going to know what they're doing there. JoJo Doman, pretty talented guy, making plays. So they're probably going to have to manufacture pressure with with blitzes to actually get home and sack and pressure the quarterback. I think they have the personnel to be able to to do that and not get burned. And, and potentially get home. But certainly a huge thing to watch for this team, especially defensively. Number six in my 15 things I'm, I'm excited to watch for this season with Nebraska. Who emerges at running back? Who's, who's the guy at that spot? Nebraska's been really bad in that spot recruiting-wise. Been really bad. I think a lot of their issues actually come back to the running back. They need a difference maker there. I mean, hell, at this point, they just need someone who is above average at that spot. It's amazing. It's amazing how... When we we talk about the year one of Scott Frost, and be like, oh man, we would kill for we the way we all speak of Divino Zigbo and Stanley Morgan, we speak of them as if they were Mike Rozier and Irving Fryer. Like, but though we were both those guys were good, but neither of them got drafted. We speak of these dudes like they're they are Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin. They were good, they weren't great. But that, but it's amazing that like you and Nebraska would kill for this vinyl signal right now. So they they just need someone that's average at that spot, that's sufficient at that spot, because they have struggled mightily in finding a game breaking, difference making dude there. Frost has said they want a bell cow at running back, which I like. I my guess would be it's going to be Gabe Irvin eventually, but who the hell knows? It sounds like Marquis Stepp has had a decent camp. His foot's healthy again. He's 
you know, played at a high level at USC, was productive in a game against Notre Dame. Maybe he's the dude. I don't care who it is, but someone's got to someone's got to step up and be the dude there. Huge thing to watch for offensively. That spot has to improve. I, I might as well number seven along those same lines. Can these wide receivers actually produce? It's the same school of thought with the wide receivers as the running backs. This has been a gaping hole for this offense. On paper, they've improved. On paper, they got some decent talent there. Samari Torre, Oliver Martin, Xavier Betts, Omar Manning. Like, those are talented guys. Even guys like Luer and Levi Falk, those guys have played a lot of football. They're not uber talented, but you know what you're going to get from them. It's time for that spot to step up and produce. Can they do it? Can they do it? The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Everybody that knows my athletic background, you know, as a quarterback in high school. But you know, I believe in establishing the run game. And even more than that, I believe in establishing the Runza game. That's an original Runza cheeseburger. Some onion rings, double dipped in a homemade batter. Little bit of a pop to top it off. You know, in football, you establish a run. But at lunch, you establish the Runza. It's just that simple. So get out to Runza today and establish the Runza game or check out the delicious salads. You got the chicken bacon ranch salad, sweet berry chicken salad, and my personal favorite, the Southwest chicken salad. You got to get out to Runza, establish a Runza game, or get a salad. Either way, you are going to leave satisfied. Runza makes it all better. Number eight, sticking with kind of you know the offensive weaponry, if you will. You know, I this is more of just like something I've noticed over the last week or two. I, I wrote down the tight ends. Like, can these tight ends live up to the billing? All of a sudden, have you noticed these tight ends been getting hyped a little bit? Been getting hyped a little I'm looking at you, Steve Sipple. I love you, brother, but I'm looking at is, is Sip's calling these tight ends like some of the best, one of the best groups in the country. It's like, listen, I like Austin Allen and Vocalek, but like, okay, well, like, let's go see it. L- let's go see it. It's time to ball out. Austin Allen, Vokalek, can these guys prove to be consistent threats offensively? Difference makers offensively. Big third down, you know a pass is going. Can Austin Allen get his ass open, make a play? In the red zone, play action, boot, here comes up, make a play. Can these tight ends be a strength in games? Like, I like these these guys. Like, but I'm I'm ready to. Okay, getting hyped up pretty good. They got to produce to validate the hype. Be interesting to see. Number nine, I wrote down Cam Jurgens. I'm excited to watch this guy this year. And mainly, I'm starting with, can he eliminate the snapping issue? Because I hear all about the talent that he has. And listen, it's probably true. I'm not, I, I don't know what I'm looking at well enough to assess center play, right? I'm not Jeff Saturday. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't I don't know the intricacies of position, and I'm not necessarily focused on that spot to, to, to really know. But I, everybody talks about, man, after the snap, dude is really good. But it's hard for me to assess that because I can assess bad snaps, right? My wife can assess that. And I know this. I don't care how good you are after the snap. If you can't snap the ball accurately to your quarterback, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I like Cam Jurgens, and I'm rooting for Cam Jurgens. I think he was thrown into a tough spot. Never played offensive line in his career or center prior to arriving in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he's thrown out there. That's not easy. 
But the bad snaps got to stop. And and listen, here's the thing: it's not just it's not just the snaps that go over Martinez's head or or at his ankles and through you know through his legs or anything like that. It's it's the errant snaps, the inaccurate snaps that Martinez has to bend all over the place and sometimes jump up to catch. Like I'm considering that in the bad snap. Those got to stop. I mean, if you watch, just go, just do something. Go back and like YouTube again. I mean, if it seems like north of fifty percent of the snaps aren't accurate snaps, I'm not talking about the ones that go over that. I'm talking like they're they're all over the place. And I'm telling you, as a former quarterback, like quarterbacks have enough to think about. Reads pre-snaps, who's creeping up on a blitz, who, where's my, okay, that's my safety I'm reading, where, all that stuff. Like, you, you got enough things you're thinking about. The last thing you need to worry about is the accuracy of the snap. So, I am excited to watch Cam, and I'm rooting like hell that he is money at that spot, because I do buy all the people that know what they're talking about, that he is good after the snap. Just got to get that snap right. Be really cool to see that guy turn it around and ball out. Number 10, in terms of my 15 things I'm excited to watch this season for Nebraska football. I'm excited to, to see how the game is going to be called offensively, what the approach is like. This is going to be interesting to watch on a variety of fronts. The first one being, can, can Scott Frost slightly alter how he calls the game to give his defense a chance to lead them to a win? Meaning, slowing the tempo down a little bit, maybe not taking as many risks, more of a downhill running game, et cetera, et cetera. This is going to be interesting. And then how will the offense look? You heard Marquis Stepp talk about it the other day in a media availability, talking about how the offense is, is more physical, downhill, run it right at you. It's not a pretty offense, all the, like, Okay, well, what does that actually look like? Because there's no question that the staff has made a concerted effort to get bigger bodies. What does all that manifest itself into in terms of play calling and stylistically looking offensively? What does all that look like? Will Nebraska be as fast-tempoed? Will Nebraska be as aggressive? Will Nebraska actually be able to throw the ball downfield? Will Nebraska be actually able to run the ball consistently between the tackles? A lot of that sometimes is how the game is called. And speaking of that, who's going to be calling the plays? At least the Lions share the plays. Now, we probably won't know the answer to this throughout the the season, but I did think it was very interesting at the end of the year last year, Scott Frost saying that him and Matt Lubick are kind of splitting the play-calling duties, which would be really, really fascinating to watch. So I'm certainly going to be keeping my eye on that. Number 11, turnover margin. Sam McEwen had this nugget in his rewind a few weeks ago. And it really kind of sums it all up. We, we spend so much time analyzing, digesting, and dissecting every little thing with the program and the team and the, and the offensively, defensively, the personnel and stuff, when a lot of it can boil down to this. The, Nebraska's turnover margin since 2014, so since they parted ways with Bo Pelini, this is the three years of, of Mike Riley, three years of Scott Frost. Nebraska's turnover margin since 2014 is minus 29. During that 
Same time frame. Iowa is plus 45. Northwestern is plus 22. Minnesota is plus 14. Wisconsin is plus 8. Again, Nebraska's minus 29. Iowa's plus 45. That's crazy. When it comes right down to it, that is the biggest reason why Nebraska has lost a lot of football games. That has to change. Offensively, got to take care of the ball. That starts with Martinez, who's been a little fumble prone. Not a little, a lot. And the defense has to do a better job forcing turnovers as well. If Nebraska's in the positive turnover margin, a good season's on deck, period. But man, isn't it funny? We sit here, we spend all this time analyzing, digesting, and, or, and dissecting, and thinking about this and that. And this. I mean, a lot of it's just that little nugget right there. I mean, why has Nebraska struggled for the last six years? When, when pitted against their Big Ten West foes, Nebraska turnover margin, minus 29 since 2014, Iowa plus 45, Northwestern plus 22, Minnesota plus 14, Wisconsin plus 8. So really the four best teams in the division during that time frame all have a positive turnover margin. Nebraska has a negative 29. Number 12, red zone. The red zone's been a big problem for Nebraska's offense, right? Their inability to punch it in and put points on the board when they get inside the 20 has been a big, big issue. Nebraska's actually kind of moved the ball between the 20s decently. They just can't they can't score when they get in the red zone. They couldn't put points on the board. And, you know, the the red zone offense has been a, a big a bigger problem than the Renzo D, but the red zone D obviously needs to be solid as well. So certainly red zone offense, one way or another. You, you got to find a way to put points on the board. That's certainly something to watch as well. Number 13, my top 15 things I'm most excited to watch this season. Crowds and attendance. I'm not one of those guys that really cares about the sellout streak, but it's certainly something to, to monitor because it's a, I mean, it's a big deal, right, for, for the program. I'm curious what the home attendance looks like for Nebraska and if the sellout streak continues. And then... I'm curious how much uh, I'm curious how Nebraska handles the crowds and the environments. Like this is something I don't think has been discussed enough. The no crowd, no environment factor last year, and and now transitioning it to this season. Like Nebraska played without a home crowd cheering them on last year. Nebraska played without a hostile crowd roaring against them last year. Nebraska played without the pressure of a big crowd last year. The environment and crowds make a big difference in sports. I think it's one of the reasons you saw, like in the NBA bubble, um, I think, you know, like a guy like, what happened to Tyler Hero? Well, I think he was one of those guys that like did well with the bubble. I mean, I think the heat in general, they went to the finals. I think a lot of it was like no crowd. It's a different world. And especially in football, man, it's a big difference between playing in front of zero people and playing in front of 90,000 people. Some people can handle it. Some can't. I'm fascinated to see how Nebraska handles that. So I'll be watching for for crowds and attendance. Number 14, explosive big plays. This offense under Scott Frost 
it it lives on big plays. They need explosive chunk plays. And for the last two years, they they really have lacked in that area. They've lacked a downfield deep threat passing game. They've lacked a dynamic home run hitter at running back. They've also lacked a wide receiver that consistently can get some yak and make a big play out of a short pass. This offense and the way it's built isn't meant to methodically march down the field for 11, 12, 13 play drives and score. Especially with how kind of penalty prone and sloppiness prone they've been, the more plays they run on a drive, like the, the, the chances of having a penalty seemingly go up. But this offense isn't meant for you know that 12, 13 play drive. It's meant for explosive big plays. And they've lacked the playmakers, so they've lacked the explosive plays. Can that change? Going to be really, really interesting to watch. And then number 15, the last one. Can Nebraska gain some momentum and confidence? I said it earlier. I've talked about this. Nebraska has not been able to win three games in a row under Scott Frost. They've yet to really capture any momentum and collective confidence under under Frost and Nebraska. And Barrett Root, is, I mean, he's someone that's been consistently telling me for three, four years now that, you know, the team just needs to find some confidence, get some positive momentum. Can that finally happen? Three straight seasons, it hasn't happened. And for a team learning how to win and a program trying to become a winning program, you got to capture that momentum and confidence. You just do. It just it would be fun to see this team and this program and this fan base find that that confidence and positive momentum. Seems like it's just been eluding this program for a while. Could be a game changer. So there you go. 15 things I'm excited to watch for this year. I, again, I could I could list like 15 more. There's a ton of fascinating storylines and things to track. But I can't wait, man. Season just around the corner. Kickoff, August 28th. Let's go. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza. Makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.